thankful for each and every one of you this morning that you braved the snow that is piling up outside to be here this morning. Let me tell you, I did not pray for this snow. I have not at all asked God for snow this year. I have been asking God to keep the snow at bay a little bit this year. But I guess I'm just not going to win out. It just seems like that's how it always works. But nonetheless, I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that we're warm. And I'm thankful that we get to serve a good God. And we get to worship a great God who loves us enough that he allows us to have the breath in our lungs. So that being said, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Joshua. And we're going to look at chapter 2. And then I want you to put your finger on chapter 2, and then I want you to put another finger in chapter 6. Because what the Lord laid on my heart is a message that we need to hear, because it continues on with the Circle series. And if you were here last week, I talked about the cycles that God wants to break, and sometimes it has to have a new starting point. And for the people of Israel, that was when they crossed over the Jordan. When God told them, through his prophet Moses, that when you get to the other side, I want you to build an altar. And on that altar, I want you to write the law in the plaster that you're going to put all over the stones that are unhewed. So that way you can come back and revisit the miracle that I've given you so you can start the new circle, the new cycle, the new patterns in your life. But if you have that on, you have your finger on that scripture, say, I got it. If you have no Bible and you're going to read it off the screen, just raise your hand. At least we're being honest. But that being said, let's go ahead and read it. And, and, and in the scripture, we're looking at where Rahab is responding to the Israelites that she's got in her house. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of, the, uh, of you have fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of this land merit, or melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord... Let me find my place here again. For we have heard how the Lord had dried up the waters in the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you have done to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, who have devoted them or devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brother and my sisters and all those who belong to them will be delivered our lives from death. And the men said to her, as, or, our life for yours even to death, if you do not tell this business to, of ours, then the Lord gives us the land. We will dwell, uh, deal kindly with you and faithfully with you. And then skipping to chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and out and all the people of, uh, because of all the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with it, or with its mighty king and uh, mighty men and women of valor. Father God, Lord, touch me today, Lord. Lord, you've been stirring this message up in my heart all week long. Because it's needed to be said today, Lord. Because God, we're struggling in different avenues of our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. But Lord, we need you to expose these things in our lives, Lord, so that we can be truly who you called us to be. God, touch us today, Lord. Touch me. Let the words of my mouth, Lord, be the thing that you need to be spoken today, Lord. Giving me clear, concise, without an impediment, Lord, that would come through. So that way it would be a resounding answer to somebody's prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. The truth is, when you look at the scripture, most of us know the story about how the walls fall, or fell, right? Fold. Man, there's always an impediment already kicking in. Lord, give me a little bit more strength. How the walls fell down. How, how Joshua marched them in around the city seven times, or for six days, one time, and then on the seventh day, he marched around it the seventh time, and then all of a sudden, they heard a mighty raw, and all of a sudden the walls fell down, and they heard the crumbling of the bricks. We all can remember that story if you grew up in church. And the impact that it would have, because it would awe you, the fact that a city's walls should not fall in just because people walked around a city. But that's where I need to make sure we put this one fact out there. That with God, all things are possible. Without Him, everything could fall apart. Without Him, everything should fall apart. Because He's the one that spoke it all into motion. He's the one that set us on this solid rock that we stand today. He's the one that gives us the air in our lungs. He's the one that allows the earth to, to have established orbit around the sun. And better yet, the sun orbiting around our galaxies and all that it does. He does it all with purpose. So when I say with God all things are possible, we really need to truly understand that it's already happening every single moment. But so often we struggle. We struggle to actually understand the impact. I mean, I look at the world today, and what do I see? I see people trying to say God doesn't exist. A, a, a story that's old as time because people want to put themselves above God because of the original sin that happened in the garden and the perpetual nature of how that impacts the generations that come after. Because the truth is, the things in our life that's out of control, that seems like it's out of control, they're always in God's hand. But we struggle because what we're trying to formulate and calculate in our own finite mentality. Like I said, last week we talked about how God was seeking to shape a generation to get away from the stinky thinkings by setting them at a new starting point where they would lose the, the, the bad things that happened. Why? Because... Unfortunately, bad cycles will always perpetuate bad cycles. It's like if I were to go and take up cigarettes. The likelihood of me picking up a bad habit is very highly likely because of one. Same with alcohol. It's the same cycle. It's the same with drugs. It's the same cycle. You always want more and it starts building up. 
But the truth is, there's other bad cycles that keep getting rehashed in our society. Statistically speaking, poverty shapes our desires. If you grow up in a poor home, you're more likely to be poor. But also, the whole time you're poor, and the reason why it perpetuates the cycle is because you're always trying to get one up, and you're always trying to get better, and you don't calculate the cost with like a good steward that God commanded you to have to get you through it. So it rebuilds upon it. You want to know why some people struggle every single day is because they overspend, because they've had a bad habit where they watch somebody else have something they wanted more. Keeping up with the Joneses is what we call it, right? They think if they keep up with them that they'll be having the best life, but they don't realize all they're doing is just causing more detriment in their life. Statistically, family structures matter. A fatherless home is more, more likely to produce children that are more likely to be poor, involved in drugs and alcohol abuse, drop out of school, or suffer from health emotionally and physically they're going to struggle a lot different ways. Homes with abusive families, statistically, you see a constant state of repeat of the same abuse through their lives, of the next generation and the next generation. It doesn't stop. Better yet, other negative things that happen in the homes will always keep perpetuating. I could go through a list of statistical analysis of why the abuses that happen keep happening. But God is clear and concise. We are destined to repeat ourselves if we don't have a new starting point. And that's what God is trying to do today. That's what he's tried to do last week. That's what he's trying to waken us up to. Because we still keep going through the mode of insanity, trying to do the same thing, hoping to have a completely different, utter response than what we've always had. It's like me, when I was a young boy, trying to figure out where I placed in the world, keep going to all these different things that I shouldn't be doing, thinking I was going to find some satisfaction. But I realized I would never find the satisfaction that I needed until I met the one who actually created me. See, I had to have a new starting point. And I want to encourage somebody, because good cycles have the same effect as bad cycles. They produce good cycles in our lives. It's like having a home where you feel safe, open and able to share your feelings, open and at the table to talk about what's going on, it's going to promote a healthy communication, a healthy emotional state, and all these different things. Or better yet, having a father and mother in the same home that don't have a divorce, but they're, they're, they're able to produce a, safety, uh, ho a safe home where the kids will expect the same thing from their next relationship. You see, what I'm trying to really get at is we are all stuck in circles. But it's often the ones we don't always expect. It takes a good self-evaluation. And I truly believe what God is trying to do is to really to get us to answer. Which one are we going to choose? Last week I told you, 
God just wants to get you at a new starting point. A new starting point's great. But the starting point has to be the one that you have to choose which way you're going to go with. The world today wants to choose a starting point where they say God doesn't exist. Where they want to offer their whole idea and their whole epitome of their whole knowledge base that they've calculated in their heads to try to produce the same thing. Or better yet, they just cover their ears and scream, I don't want to hear. But it's time for us to hear the truth. That God's story is one that he's trying to unfold in your life if you'll allow him to. If, he'll, if you'll allow him to speak to you, you clearly, intently, listen. And that's where we find in the whole word when we're studying it, as we're going through it this year. And we start reading it and we start asking the questions that matter. Let me tell you, as I was digging through the scripture this week, and I was looking at it, and God said, you need to speak about Rahab. And I'm like, okay, God, who's Rahab? I know who Rahab is, but why do I need to talk about a woman named Rahab? And he says, because she matters. I said, okay. But how do you want me to talk about this? And he says, I want you to talk about three circles. I said, three circles? Lord, I could speak about one. I could do that for an hour. I got 45 minutes. One hour with three circles. Let's go. But the truth is, the three circles that we find in the story that, I, we, that we went through on the scripture matter. First one you have is Israel. When you look at the scriptures and you study through the wilderness journey of where Israel went through, how, how God had established them in the book of Genesis to be his people, and he let them go up into Egypt to find prosperity because of the drought that was there. And then for 400 years, they were stuck in a place where they found themselves getting put into bondage. Slaves to Pharaoh to build his kingdom. And they started crying out, saying, God, we need you to save us. And then all of a sudden, God did his miraculous work when he allowed Moses to survive something that should have massacred him. Put him in the Pharaoh's house to learn how Pharaoh operated. And then his story was told. We learned the story, how he gets and goes and kills one of the Egyptian slave handler guys. And then he runs off because he knows he's a marked man. And then all of a sudden, 40 years later, God says, it's time to go back to Egypt. You see, Israel wanted to be saved. How many of us say we want to be saved? Every day I need him. Every day I, I, I desire to have my relation with him. Every day I wake up and I say, Lord, come into me and save me because I'm living in a wretched world that's lost and discouraged and, and, and it's trying to tear me limb from limb. But every day I find this circle in my life that seems like it's in a constant repeat. You see, what happens is Israel goes into the wilderness thanking God. Oh, Lord, you saved us from Pharaoh's chariots as we crossed the dry, uh, on dry ground through the Red Sea. And we watched how the waters came back and washed them away so they would never chase us again. But how quickly they forget the goodnesses of God. How quickly do we forget 
The goodness is of what God has done. You see, we live our journey in this life and we're going around going, oh God, I need you today, but tomorrow I'm just struggling because I forgot what you did to me yesterday. Lord, you provided the food on my table today, but I've taken it for granted. Lord, you provided the roof over my head. Lord, you've given me your righteous right hand to lead me through this life, but I've taken it for granted for too long. You see, when I look at the church today, I see the same cycle happening just like it's in my own life, and I'm constantly repenting and asking God to change something. You see, we live our life with that same mentality. But it's time that we look at it a little differently. We have to look at the root causes that cause this. The root causes are constantly because what we see around us. We live our lives looking for the Joneses. We live our life looking that we can have something greater and better. Can I just be honest with you? I'm thankful every day for the house that I get to rent. It's a roof over my head. It does the functions I need. But there are days that I just want something different. Why? Because I want to own something. I'll be honest. I want to own it. But I want something that's functional. And me and my wife, we go and dream. My wife tells me, I want a barn dominium. I said, honey, what's a barn dominium? I've never heard of this before. And she says, it's a barn that they turn into a house. It's huge. It's this, it's this. I said, that's awesome. How much is it going to cost? She tells me the price tag. I said, 300000 Apparently, Mrs. Tracy, you already know. She's priced it out. No, no, no. She told me, honey, the one I want is 750000 I said, honey, I know how much I get paid. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. But the truth is, I mean, we're dreaming big dreams. We're asking God for some miraculous things to happen. We're asking God to establish our our roots here because we don't ever want to leave. We're asking God to do some awesome things in our lives. But the point that I want you to understand is we dream. But the thing that most of us miss on our dreams... Is who we're asking. We're asking the one who has it all, who's able to give us what we need for the dreams. Let me tell you, the church right now has been struggling with atrophy because it's lost sight of who gives us the authority. Who gives us the power and the right to even get up and get on our, 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 our daily walks and start asking him to lead us? We keep forgetting every single day who it is we come in here to serve. You see, we get out here and we're like Israel. We're looking at the manna on the ground and we're saying, I'm so tired of it. We're looking at the man and saying, I don't want that no more. 
And we're looking at it and we're like Israel saying, I'd rather have the meat of Egypt because it will satisfy me so much greater. Instead of understanding that what God is providing for us right now matters. And they, they grumble and they complain and they throw fits and they're, they're just ungrateful. I don't want to say anything about you guys. I'm talking in the church in general. We've gotten so ungrateful here in the United States. You see, church has become this ritual that we think that as soon as we usher ourselves in, we should be exalted because I showed up 30 minutes late to church today and I heard just the same song that I wanted to. Better yet, when you get the emails that some pastors get, because I get on these Facebook groups and I see some of the things that people complain about. Y'all are good. Let me just say this. You all are good to me. I don't need these emails, but I got on there and I saw one pastor say, I got an email from this one lady. She said, she's not coming back because I didn't give her her song that she had to have because the Holy Spirit didn't tell me she had to have this one song this Sunday. She's going to the church next door. I said, what? I got another one, and he says, yep, yep, this person says they're not touching this door because I didn't say hi to them today and make them feel special and shake their hand. And I said, what? You see, the struggle that we have in the church today, and the reason why I say we get stuck, we get saved, we start the new pattern of what God's trying to get us to waken up to, but we keep getting stuck in a place where we're saying that it's all about me. And what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing today through the revivals that I keep hearing about online and wanting to experience and see that God is doing something new, what I'm seeing is, is that there's a change coming. Amen. There is a change coming. And it's a change of heart. Oh, you're not getting here. You see, there's a change of heart that's got to take place in the church today. People, we have been walking around in a wilderness life thinking that we have it all together. But when we cross over the Jordan of the next promise that God is trying to get us to awaken to, what we're going to have is a miraculous event that occurs because of His goodness. But we have to learn from where we are and move beyond it. I can tell you right now, I can't imagine a life where I keep repeating the same patterns thinking something's going to change. I'm going to learn from my experiences. Joshua learns from his experiences. If you don't know who Joshua is, Joshua was the guy that was the right-hand man of Moses. God anointed him to be the next leader. So what did Joshua do before he goes in the promised land? He says, we're going to go spy it out and hear what the report is. That's all I want to hear. So he sends two spies. Let me, let me give you a little rehash here. Joshua was one of the original 12 spies that happened about 40 years before this who went into the promised land, brought back grapes that were so huge and that were so plentiful, and they said, hey, this full of everything. But only Joshua and one other man said, let's go and take it. And ten of them said, oh, there's giants that we're all going to die. 
Let me tell you, Joshua learned real quick that it only took two and not twelve. So he sent the two spies in because he wanted to hear what the heart was of the world around him. And so the two spies, they walk in. They go into the city gates. They start wandering around. And they end up in a home of a woman named Rahab. Now, if you don't know anything about Rahab, I'm going to tell you, Rahab had a lifestyle that the church would look against. In some places, we would call it the red light district. Red light district. That means she was a woman of the night. She was a woman that would use her physique to make her income. I'm trying to keep it PG here. So that means that for some reason the two Hebrew spies that Joshua sent in ended up in a home that you would not expect them to go into. And I asked my, I had to ask myself, I was like, okay, let me get through the scripture. And I couldn't find the reference of why they ended up in this home. Could have been a whole bunch of different things, Brother Chip. But the Lord kind of spoke to me, he says, because every home in the whole city was already distraught. They were a, were a little bit of fearful of the foreigners. And Rahab, she was just all about the money. But God used this woman to put a clear, decisive message that Israel needed to hear. That's why when we get to chapter 2, she says, Hey, I want to tell you that we've heard of what has happened through you. How we've heard... Now the God that you serve is truly the God who is of heaven and of earth. The God that can do the miraculous if you would allow us to see it. We heard about how the Red Sea dried up and how you walked. We heard how you were able to defeat such a, a vast army even though you were just slaves just years earlier. We heard how your God is. And it puts a tremble in our heart. You see... We live in a world that's in the circle of Jericho. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to decide what a truth is. They think it's fluid. But a truth by its definition is an absolute fact that cannot be changed. It cannot be whatever a whim or a, or a, a new wind that would come through would change it to be. So what do they do? They do what Jericho does. They put up the walls around them. They think that they're safe in their walls. They think that they're righteous because their walls are so big because they've got their PhDs even though that they're more like a PHF. Because it's got no, about, or no ability to actually articulate a truth. They think that they're so smart in so many ways but they don't realize that they are so distraught and distracted with what God is trying to do. So the second that the news articles start picking up something that's happening on a college campus, what do they do? They try to argue against it. They try to say, well, that's just weird. Why would those people want to go in droves just to go down there and sit and listen to music? 
Why would those people just want to go down there and weep and talk about God who doesn't exist? Why would they want to do this? They are just stupid. They're calculating that they could just get enough words over there to say, my walls are bigger than yours, don't even touch me. You see, their hearts are so calloused. The Bible says it's a heart of stone when you get that kind of mentality. The Bible says that it has no pulse in it. It's dead. The Bible says that if you do not want to listen to the actual truth of who God is and the impact that he's going to have on your life, if you would just finally surrender to his truth, that you'd start seeing a pulsatingness going into that stone. And the Bible says it will give you a heart of flesh. You see, what I'm really trying to get at is, is that the world we expect to build up walls. The world we expect to be so calloused. But it's when the churches do the same thing as the world. I'm not saying you guys do. I just need to challenge somebody this morning. What is it that you're building up a wall against that God is trying to wake it up your heart to? What is it that you're holding back and saying, God, I can't trust you here because I need the protection right now? What is it that when God is trying to move something, we fight so tooth and nail against that he can't even get into our lives? You see, that's what happens in the church. We ask God, God, or or we sing songs, I'm sorry, Holy Spirit, move. We want your Holy Spirit, God. Fill, blow on here. Lord, make us an altar or a praise. Lord, we are glorifying your name in here because we want to exalt you. But the second he blows his wind out of his voice, we tremble in fear. And we're like, no, God, I can't do this. We're like Israel all over again. No, God, we can't hear your voice because we're going to die. We're like the world that says, God, we got to calculate how it is. You see, churches calculate how to get a good service going. I have order of services here in this church. I calculate what it is. I calculate how long the song is going to be. I try to calculate if there's any videos going in. I try to understand the, di- the, the time frames that people need to get out of here. I understand all those things. I try to formulate my message to go into a certain amount of time frame. I also try to get it to understand that I have to engage people at this point or that point. But Sister Phyllis, you know what the Lord's been telling me the last few weeks to do? Don't calculate what my message should be. Let him be the one that drives it home. I, I, I changed up my, my whole study tec- techniques, my whole note structure, where I don't write it out verbatimly how I would think that I should say it. I changed it up because I needed God to be the one that's giving me the words. You see, what I'm trying to get at is, we need to quit being a church that thinks we have it all put together because we have walls around us. We need to quit being so fearful that when God starts pulling bricks out, that it's all going to crumble. Let me tell you, if God wants to pull a brick out, let him pull a brick out of your life. If God wants to start telling these people that the walls are going to come falling down, let me get outside and walk around the walls with it. Because what I've learned is I'd much rather have the third service. And that's the one that nobody wanted. That's the one that everybody looks up against. 
because I was just having a conversation with one of my old young youth students from back in the day. And one of the things that I kind of had to revisit was my own personal life journey. It's not about me, it's about him. Let me tell you right now. I can remember the moment I got saved. I can remember the moment that he started calling me in the ministry. I can remember the moment when I would go up and tell somebody, hey, I don't know what it is. I just feel that I'm called to preach. And they're like, no, you're not. And I remember how I'd clam up and go back into my shell. I can remember the moment where, where, where I started saying, okay, I'm going to chase whatever avenue is. I don't care what hurdles you're going to make me go through. I know this is on my heart, and I can't get rid of it. And so the only thing I can do is be obedient and start walking around this. You're telling me no, but I keep feeling that God keeps saying yes. So they said, okay, you want to go into ministry? you got to go through this program first. Okay, do it. Got done with that program. I said, okay, I'm done with it. I'm the only one out of 12 people that you signed up for to that program to do it. I'm in. I said, okay, well, you got to go through this program. Okay, I'll do it. And they're like, okay, this kid is really serious. He's not going to stop. And the next thing was, I got done with that program. I said, I want to go to the next one. And the next one. And then they said, okay, we have no more programs, so we're just going to put you over here and let you kind of do your own thing over here. I said, okay. And then all of a sudden, God messed my world up, Brother Steve. You see, what I'm trying to get at is that some walls have to fall because of our determination to be so hungry for him that he's the only one that can tear down the walls. He's the only one that can open the doors. He's the only one that can establish what the world would want to call wicked. He's the only one that can change the hearts and the minds of those around us. He's the only one that can do anything. You see, Rahab was the unlikely unchosen one. Nobody wanted her except for what they wanted from her. Nobody expected much from her. But yet, I think it's so interesting that when the two spies showed up, it was her house. It was her protection that allowed these spies to live. It was her protection when she lied to the king of Jericho and said, oh, they left out another door when the gates were still open. It was her protection that lowered these boys down on a rope and told them to go hide and go back, but just said, there's something about what's going on, and I need some change. She said, there's something going on around me. I don't want to be part of this old life. I just want some protection. And so she begged, I was good to you. Protect me on the back end. Let me tell you right now, the church needs to be more like Rahab. The church needs to be more like a woman who was so dissatisfied with her lifestyle 
so dissatisfied with what she had. I mean, she was the head of her household. She had a home. She had finances. She had a little bit of a voice inside the city. Otherwise, the king wouldn't have called her. She had some provisions she needed. She thought she had a good life, but she became so dissatisfied with what she had because her heart was hearing that something was changing. And I truly believe right now something is changing. You see, I keep waiting, Brother Steve, to hear a little bit of wind rustling. I keep waiting to hear a little bit of more noise of the news that's going on. I keep waiting to come into the church and start seeing people really dissatisfied with their life. Do what the word says to do. But the struggle that we keep having is that we are refusing to do anything. We come in, we sit down, we look at the screens. We look at the preacher. He's up there doing a great job. <laughs> and we keep looking at the clock thinking, man, is he ever going to get done? I want to get some breakfast. Or I'm sorry, lunch. Man, is he ever going to get done because he's so boring? Man, I just want to get out of here. What am I wasting my day for? I mean, he doesn't even look like he's there at all anymore. But the fact is, we live our lives thinking that something's never going to change. But what God keeps telling me to tell us today, it's time to choose the circle you want to live through. It's time to choose which path you want to walk down. Which path of life you want to keep repeating over and over again as it builds upon it and expeeds the thing that springs you forth into your future. Because circles, when you start walking around, start getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you can't get out of it anymore. You see, what God is trying to ask you is, do you want to walk around like Israel? The promised people that think they're all that in a bag of chips and that, they, that all they have to do is grumble and complain. But then they end up making God so mad that half of them have to die in the wilderness. Or do you want to be like Jericho and build up the walls so tall, close all the gates because you know that God's doing something but you just don't want to be part of it. Or do you want to be like Rahab? Who's inside the walls? Who's hearing the news? Who's seeing the wonderful things that are going on? And all she can say is, just save me. I don't ask for much more. Just save me. God, I just want you to do something in my life. You see, Rahab's heart is what we need. It's the circle of life that we need to get ourselves onto. One of repentance. One of dissatisfaction. One of trusting. One where our faith, though we have no reassurances, we have our hope. You see, we need to truly examine what path we're on. 
That's what God's trying to get us to be aware of this morning. Are we going to keep doing the same old, same old of, though I lay my head to sleep? I don't know why I always go to that prayer. It's the stupidest thing that I've always had stuck in my head. It's a prayer that I don't think has any impact on my life. Though I lay my head to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Because it's got no impact because it's not showing true relationship with Christ. I'm sorry, I'd much rather go to bed. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that you've given me this breath in my lungs today, that you've allowed me to do the work of your ministry today. Lord, I thank you that I got to go speak to that person over at that store the other day. Lord, I thank you that you allowed me to be an impact that I didn't go cursing off that person today because they cut me off. You see, I'd rather have the relationship with who God is because he is the one and only true God. There is no change. There is no other God before him. There is no other God but him. And if he is the one and only true God, it's time that the church starts worshiping him like he deserves. It's time that we start having the heart like Rahab, which says, God, I don't deserve it. I'm a wicked, wretched mess that I am. I need you to save me. We need to have the heart that says, God, I don't care who I am. I want you to use me. We need to have the heart where we start really asking God, God, I'm so invaluable, but you make me valuable. God, I'm so invaluable because you make me valuable. God, I have no worth in me, but you make me worthy. Because God, without you, I am nothing. You see, church, I got 21 minutes. I promise I won't keep you here 21 minutes, Sister Tracy. I'm getting to the point that I feel that God is saying i got to release it. You see, Rahab was a woman who we didn't think was worthy. But God chose to use her as a vessel that would speak a truth. God's trying to waken up people that think that they have no value. God's trying to tell somebody this morning. People have told you, you cannot do that. But if God is willing to speak through you, let him use you. If God can use a donkey to tell Balaam to not keep going, it's time to realize that God loves you more than a donkey, and he can use you if you would just let him. You see, what I'm trying to get at is, it's time to get on the proper circle where we start saying, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I need you every single moment. God, when I wake up, I want to revisit you. God, I don't want an altar that's got your law. God, I want to have the relationship that I know that I can hear your voice say good morning. It's time to have that relationship. But that will only come if we would allow our hearts to become so dissatisfied. Like Rahab. And I think it's so interesting. That if we would allow our hearts to become like her, that our destiny would be something that could be shaped like hers. Because what we don't realize is that the world didn't want Rahab, but God used Rahab. According to the genealogy found by the Matthew, 
it says that Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers and Judah begot Perez and Zerah and by Tamar and Perez begot Hazaron and Hazaron begot Ram and Ram begot Amad, I can't even say it, Amadabah begot Nishon and Nishon begot Salmon and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. What I want you to understand, church, what I want you to really understand is that God used a woman so dissatisfied with where she was at that she pursued a God she did not know and a way and a people that she did not fully understand to allow herself to be so consumed by him that she begot a son named Boaz. And Boaz got married to a woman name? No, it's Ruth. And Ruth was the grandma of David, who became king of Israel. You see what I'm trying to get at? The circles that we walk on matter. The circles that we're living every single day matter. When we wake up, Lord, I trust you. Lord, when, when we wake up, Lord, I'm a mess. Fix me. Lord, I'm struggling with this today, Lord. Move in my life. Lord, I got this person over here driving me nuts. Let me not kill them today, but help me be a vessel that pours into them today. Lord, when I wake up, use me. Because what we don't realize is as long as the Lord keeps staring, we don't understand the impact of what he can do through you. But that's the choices we make today that matter. Because we can so easily get onto a new starting point where we walk on the wrong circle. Where we start building up from them instead of trying to get out from them. Where we can walk around the walls, but we don't understand the impact of what God's wanting to do. Or we can be the one that gets out of it and really wants to see the God that we know can do the miraculous. You'll stand with me this morning. See, what I keep feeling that God is saying to do is to ask. Ask yourself this morning, what is it that I've been going around and around against? What does it look more like? Does it look more like Israel? Thinking I'm righteous enough, but I'm not walking in obedience. Is it more like the people of Jericho? Or is it more like the heart that I need to have where I surrender it to God? See, that's what we have to ask. And what God is trying to say is, I sent my son on the cross to allow you to make the choice. I sent Jesus on the world for 33 years so that he would know what it's like to live a life as a human. He was all God and all human all together. And he knows the struggles that we go through and the choices that we make. But what he's saying today is, which circle do you want to walk on? I went to the cross so that you could choose the one circle that would give you life and life more abundantly. If you would just choose to walk around me.
And what I keep feeling God asking me to tell you today is, it's time to choose the right circle. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, what is it that you've been walking around in? Is it Christ or is it you? If it's not Christ and you want him to become the circle that you want to put your focus on and let him be the Lord of your life because he died on the cross, raise your hand. We want to say a prayer with you this morning. I see one hand. Is there anybody else this morning? Two. Is there anybody else this morning? Another hand. Okay, three. Is there anyone else? I feel like I keep having to ask it. If it's you online, just let us know who you are. We're going to pray a prayer in a minute. You can put your hand down. I want you guys to all say it with me, but I want you to understand, this prayer means absolutely bupkis, like the prayer of what I said this earlier, the one that says that the Lord will protect us, if it has no true meaning in your heart. So let's say it with me. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a mess, and I need you to be my Savior. So Lord, today, I'm believing by faith and trusting fully that you went to the cross, you died on the cross, and you rose the third day to purchase my faults, my failures, and to give me a new starting point. So today, Lord, I declare you are the Lord of my life, and I give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give a round of applause for those three this morning? But here's the thing. I want to encourage everybody in the house. If you've already said that prayer, but there's something greater beyond that. Salvation call is one part. Now it's the journey after. We're all called to walk this walk as long as the Lord tarries. But that means we got to start turning from everything that the Lord says is wicked and start walking every, to everything He calls holy. You got to start letting Him change you. You got to start letting Him be the one that drives you. You got to let Him take down the bricks in your walls and allow everything to be exposed. Because only then can He ever use you. So let's pray this morning. Dear Lord Jesus. I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for what you've done in this church. I thank you for the circles you've allowed us to walk. God, I ask that you just touch each and every one of us today, Lord. Touch the three, Lord, that said the prayer this morning, that allowed you to come into their hearts, Lord, to be their Lord. But touch all of us, Lord. And let us be encouraged, Lord, as you lead us with your righteous right hand to get us to go walking around some walls that need to fall. Lord, that you would just touch us, Lord, this morning to give us the victory that we need right here, right now. Lord, touch us all, Lord, and keep us safe, Lord. As long as you keep tearing, Lord, let us just keep being obedient to you, Lord, trusting you in all that we have. God, we praise you for who you are, Lord, and what you're doing in this place. Touch each and every one of us and keep us safe, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brother Steve, can you come down this morning? Brother Marcus, I think he, can you come down? Brother Jack and Brother Kenny. Brother Jim Thomas, come down this morning. Mike, if you'll come down with me this morning. Chip, come down. Brother Steve got a, a report from the doctors this morning, or this week. And I told Sister Phyllis I would do this this week. I didn't tell you. But the word, Brother Dorman, come down this morning. 
Brother Eddie, get down here. He got a report from the doctors, and we don't know what's going to come from it. But we know that it doesn't always look that great. But God is greater than the negative reports. I'm sorry, the doctors get it wrong so many times. Because we serve an ultimate God. So if you'll just stretch your hand this morning, we're going to pray that God just touches Brother Steve. Father God, Lord, we thank you for who you are, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that we get to serve, Lord. A God that says if we have any cares or concerns, we should cast them at your feet. Lord, right now we just ask you to just touch Brother Steve, Lord. Touching from the top of his lung, uh, the head to the soles of his feet, Lord. Touching his lungs and everything in between. God, just move. Lord, we know what the reports are saying, God. But God, they do not have the authority over this man's life. He is surrendered wholeheartedly to you, God. So, Lord, right now we ask you to just touch what they're saying could happen and let it dissipate. Let the next scan show nothing. Let him have strength and strength more abundantly, Lord. Touch him, Lord, and give him the strength to get through every single day, Lord. And when the enemy wants to whisper, let him cast every lie out of his ears, Lord, and just hold on to the truth that says he is a son of the Most High God, one that is touched and formed in his mother's womb for a time such as these, Lord. Touch him, Lord, right now, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. To talk about the glory of God, I have to share something with you. Uh, a little over a week and a half ago, I spent uh, a good amount of time up in Cleveland Clinic having every type of experience you could have with a heart attack. My blood pressure was uh, 185 over 97, and it took about 24 hours. People got word of it, and there was prayer for me. Thank you for that. And I've come to realize through my Bible study, as we learn the lesson of what happened in Egypt when the Israelites left, they talked about the Pharaoh and his hardened heart. So I, I told God I would at some point tell, tell the people what he did for me, but I realized if you read the story of what happened with Moses as he walked out and the Pharaoh, there was a lesson in the Pharaoh. Every time that Moses would go to God and, and tell him the Pharaoh is asking you to stop, God would take away the plague. And as soon as the plague was gone, Pharaoh was right back at being the wicked man that he was. I realized I was like the Pharaoh. So I'm going to say in my testimony, God, thank you for healing every part of my body because every test came back that I am not having a heart attack. I'm healthy. I better get on a treadmill. And, but I'm accepting the fact that what was there was real. It was real. That's what the Pharaoh did wrong. He, he realized, I'm sorry if I'm preaching this, but the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh did wrong by not recognizing the ultimate power of God. And every time his heart got hardened, right after he got the healing of his nation, he went back at it and said something was, wasn't right with that. It couldn't have been God. 
And we do that. I am claiming I have been 100% healed. And my doctors in Cleveland, thank you for giving that free bill of health. I can live my life happy. Amen. And that's what's going to happen to my brother Steve. Yes, that will be what's going to happen. But church, it's 11.55. I'm not going to keep you here much longer. So let's just go ahead and pray and let's just get ready to go get some food. But Father God, we thank you for the goodness that you are, Lord. We thank you for your might, Lord, and how you're willing to love us, Lord. But Lord, love us as we go through this world, Lord. Let us be the representatives you call us to be, Lord. Touching each and every one of us, Lord. To give us the power and the might, Lord, to walk obedient to your will. Lord, keep us safe, Lord, as we love our neighbor as ourselves, because we love you with everything we have in our hearts, Lord. And let us be a difference. Let us just remember our neighbors, Lord. Let us encourage them, Lord, with your truth. And let us just walk as the children of the Most High, who are not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we will proclaim it loudly with love. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you all. I'll see you all hopefully next week. If you can get here Tuesday, prayer time. Also remember to invite somebody for Easter. Make me a house. Make me a house.